Suicide, the dramedy podcast about mental illness and choosing life over death, one cup of coffee at a time. I'm your host, Chris Parker Howard. And today on the show, we have got actor, survivor, all around amazing human being, Edward Miskey. Uh, it's a great conversation, and we're going to get into it. Now, you're probably wondering why the schedule has been so all over the place. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I've been quite busy as of late. As a matter of fact, uh, I've got a lot of irons in the fire right now, and it's going to put the show on hiatus. So this is the last Coffee Over Suicide uh, for a minute. We do have some other guests lined up. We do So the show is not going away. It's not goodbye, but it's so long for now, for the moment. Uh, keep it, keep it in, your, uh, in your podcast feed, and you will get the new episodes when we come back. Back. But what have I been up to? I'm glad you asked. I have been uh, toiling away at this new medication, trying to make it work for me in a way that does work. And it's been going kind of mixed, if I'm being honest, because on the one hand, I have not had suicidal thoughts or uh, any serious, serious depression uh, or experienced any sort of suicidal ideation Um probably for a couple of months now, and that's great. But as you'll hear in the interview, I do get into it a little bit. Uh, uh, it's, it's also had a share of side effects, and so I'm, I'm a little nervous about continuing with this medicine if the side effects are going to continue to be what they have been. But, you know, ultimately it is about taking care of yourself, right? You got to take care of yourself uh, by any means necessary, whatever that looks like. And that can, that can be difficult to nail down. I've had some positives happening in my life, some good stress. Uh, as you know, I joined an improv group here in Ventura, California. Uh, I'm part of Jest Improv, and we are now going to be starting a legit comedy school. Um, that's right. I'm part owner uh, in a comedy school. How'd that happen? Well, a lot of effort, a lot of uh, poking and prodding and uh, begging and kicking and inserting myself into situations um, where I thought maybe I could be of some help and maybe it could be of some help to me. And uh, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone completely out of my comfort zone. But um, I really love these people. You know, they're, they're really just the best people. And uh, I feel at home. So that's been keeping me pretty busy. Is that interfering with the podcast? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest a little bit. Yeah. But that's all right. Because we still have the Thursday meetings, you can go to meetup.com. Uh, look for Coffee Over Suicide. There's a meeting every Thursday morning. There are meetings many Thursday evenings. 
but come on out. You can check in for 10 minutes or you can stay for the full two hours. It's up to you. The schedule on the meetings is kind of all over the place at the moment, too. But uh, you can always count on Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific. Well, that's enough about me. I want to get into this conversation with the great Edward Miskey. Christopher, how are you? I have been uh, in the middle of, we're just going to jump right in, and I'm going to tell you what's happening with me. Uh, I have been having anxiety lately, uh, and it's been pretty intense. And the reason that's unusual is because uh, I've always been kind of a, uh, you know, suicidal ideation, depression kind of guy. Uh, and not really so much of an anxiety guy. And I got myself a, a new round of medication that seems to have made the suicidal ideation and the depression kind of go away. Uh, but underneath all of that, apparently there was a fertile bed of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you got to trade one thing for the other, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's time to learn a whole bunch of new coping mechanisms and uh, things like that. So you asked, how am I? That's how I am. There it is. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, alive is good, so let's start there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, you know, on any given day, it's like, you know, there's... there's uh, it's it's like I used to say in the beginning of the show. It's like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you can kill yourself or you can have a cup of coffee. And I like coffee. So let's just do that. Yeah. It's all about I live on it. <laughs> it's all about choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about choices. Let's talk about your choices specifically, because I know that you've got a really fascinating story. You do a lot of things. Uh, and I'm a big fan of people who do a lot of things. I really, I, I really like that. But I have a lot of questions about that too. So let's let's start uh, all the way back uh, at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up? What kind of kid were you? Um, I don't know if I've changed a whole lot um, as, from when I was a kid. I think I'm a little more calculated now, but I I try to keep that childlike essence about me as much as possible. And I feel like I might be misrepresenting myself uh, a little bit with that, but that's how I try to live. I don't know if that actually comes across. But, <laughs> um, I was a, I was a crazy kid, you know, like I, you know, grew up not, you know, like probably lower middle class in the middle of Pennsylvania. My neighbors were Amish. My parents were working. Um, you know, we had a lot, it was before cell phones and really the internet. And so, and we didn't have cable. So we were like local TV and grew up very basic and which, you know, kind of sounds like, oh, poor you. But also it gave us a lot of time to like be active and go outside and use your imagination for a lot and be creative. And our grandparents like sent us to art classes and bought us paint supplies. And we had like we were just when I was home for Christmas. We were talking about our domino and connector sets that we had that we'd set up in the garage and like spend hours and hours and hours. So I was always like busy and active and doing things as a kid, um, and I'm still like that as an adult now. 
Well, that's really important. I mean, curiosity is something that I think that people tend to lose as they age. Yeah, but that's for it, sure. But it's so important to keep it. Well, it's but, also... But that also lends itself well, like, to the career that you're in. Which one? I mean, <laughs> the uh, the curiosity thing is kind of a, a newer... Um, a newer segment of my brain that I've kind of rediscovered, you know, like being a kid, of course you're curious cause you're learning things, but you know, I've been in New York city for 18 years now. And like, after a while you're just like, I am tired of learning and exploring. Just give me the thing I got here for. And so yeah. that is bad because then you shut off the part of your brain that is like, Ooh, when can I meet like new people? And when can I do new things? And like, you know, then you yeah. just become kind of complacent and maybe a little bitter or angry. Um, you know, but the last couple of years have been a wild ride as far as exploring that and getting over it and just kind of like doing mindset shifts here and there about like, why do I feel this way? And, you know, and, and that really kind of was the start of the journey I'm on now with shifting myself back to like the curiosity place and wanting to learn more and read again and write again and do things that I haven't like, and by write, I mean like pen and paper, write, Um, not computer laptop, right. But you know, those are all yeah. things that I used to feverishly do as a kid and stopped doing as an adult. Do you get into journaling at all? I just started that last year, yeah. It's um it's it's wild how that's changed things for me. Like there's something there's something about like the brain to pen to eye circuit where like yeah. your brain thinks that your hand writes it, your eyes see it. And there's something about that that like is just really connective um, and healing in a way for me because like, I, like it's something I hadn't done in ages. And like to have to write something with a pen is like so bothersome because like why would I have my phone? I can type it on. I have my laptop. I can write it on. Why do I need a pen? And yet I have like a whole bucket full of pens here that I've never used. Right. But, you know, I started doing it again and it, it really kind of triggered something in my brain that was like, oh, this is great. And now all I do is write. You know, I have like a, a, a writing practice I do in the morning. I have a writing practice I do at night before I go to bed. And it's kind of consumed. My, it's bookended my days <laughs> from like nothing to that. Well, well, tell me, tell me how you first got into. Let's start with acting. How did you first find yourself involved in acting? Oh my God, I was a dramatic kid. I mean, like if you can't tell, I was uh, an eccentric one as a child. And my parents, you know, we they were active in our church, and my mom played piano and organ for the church, and so we ended up, me and my sisters and my dad ended up, you know, singing for church functions and stuff and then that kind of rolled itself into like you know my dad's also a recording artist so we had recording studios at home um mm. my whole life you know and that has evolved from being really basic to really not basic and then somewhere in the middle um and so that kind of was the start of that where I wanted to be a pop star you know I wanted to be George Michael as a kid and yeah. uh <laughs> or various other you know hot messes along the way but you know that kind of I always did theater. It was just a thing I fell into. The fourth grade, I had a um, a teacher who is still present in my life now who gave me my first role and my first musical at the high school when I was in fourth grade, and I felt very special because I was the youngest, one of the youngest people there. And um, that was kind of the, the bug that bit me. Yeah. You know, it's theater is such a different animal from so many other things. It's like... 
Uh, I did. Uh, I, I I shouldn't even say I did theater. I, I should say I was in some plays in high school and early college. That is that is still and... doing theater, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not negate the yeah. process. It's still the same. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I remember the very first time I had tried to transition that into in front of a camera, and I can't even watch it. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's a different skill set. <laughs> yeah, it's a completely different skill set. Yeah, it's like a, uh, but, it's different brain cells. It's a different body. It's it's a, you're a whole different human on camera than you are on a stage. Yeah. So how did you uh, how did you get to a place where you were comfortable inside your own skin? Am I? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that has ever happened. Um, I think there's definitely like a level of I don't give a fuck to that where like you yeah. grow into it. Um, you know, I was a I was a chubby kid, and and even like when I was rail thin, like deathly skinny in high school, I still thought it was fat and disgusting. You know, mm. not to jump the gun on this subject matter, but even when I was the thinnest that I was during cancer and chemo, like I still thought it was fat and disgusting. And I look back at those photos, and I'm like, "You look starving. What is wrong with you?" <laughs> yeah. Um. And so I don't really know if I've ever been like quote unquote comfortable in my body. Um, in that sense, uh, like, I think there, it's just different levels and layers of, I don't fucking care. Um, yeah. and like translating that onto stage, you kind of lead with the work, like knowing, like, I'm good at this and I know what I'm doing. So it doesn't really matter what I look like, but even that's kind of a lie because I would be lying if I said that during every show I was give, doing, I didn't think, do I look fat right now? <laughs> yeah. So, like, am I comfortable in my body? I don't know. Do I care if I'm comfortable in my body? I don't think so. Like, it's kind of, it's a weird line to walk, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm completely familiar with that process. It's, it, But also, do you find that you pour yourself into your work to the point where you don't have to think about yourself? Yeah. I mean... There is a, a, you know, with theater, I guess, especially and more so with TV, because you have that camera in your face and it's like, and you just get used to it and you don't see it anymore. But, you know, you have like milliseconds where you don't have to think about what you're doing. And so that creeps in slowly. Like it doesn't consume you, but it's definitely a thing that's like you're aware of your body and your clothes and your hair and the angle you're at and who's looking at you from what direction. And you're just like, it just, you know, at least for me, that's kind of what. What has consumed a lot of my energy, brain space, and time on and off stage. <laughs> <laughs> but you do exude this kind of uh, this kind of uh, self assuredness, this kind of confidence that comes across, and it, you know it just seems to come out of you. Just the way you're. Well, I mean, you. even just the way you're carrying yourself right now, the way that I can see you, you strike me as someone who is comfortable, you know, but I guess that a lot of times we do project things onto people based on what we're thinking, not really so much based on. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think there's a couple parts of this, right? Like I do like meeting new people. So like you're new people to me. So like, this is fun for me, but there's also, I, I think I've probably said this a billion times across the years, but there's a, a band. It's a woman, uh, Marina and the diamonds. And she has, it's just fucking cool. Like, look her up. She's some great stuff. But yeah. she has this song called Oh No. And in the bridge, I think, she, she has a line that says, I feel like I'm the worst, so I always act like I'm the best. And 
the first time I heard that song, I just about passed out. <laughs> I was like, oh, I know what that feels like. Um, and yeah. so I think there's a lot of, you know, performativeness, I suppose, that you just kind of acclimate to being an artist and a performer in your whole life. And especially when it it's so time consuming and you're involved in as many things as you can be, you don't turn off unless you're sleeping or drunk. Right. And I've done both of those things very well in my lifetime. Yeah. Well, but that's the question, right? I mean, how do you how do you get to a point where you can handle silence? I mean, I love it. Do now. you handle silence? Oh yeah, I'm quite good at this now. Um, pre pandemic, no. Uh, pre shutdown, absolutely not. And uh, I would try to fill my days with. Uh, busyness or people or social something. Um, you know, I was in a situation where I really only had to work like four days a week or so. And mm -hmm. I would take my days off and I would like perch at a bar and I'd check in on Facebook and be like, hey guys, I'm here, come here now. And people would. I mean, like, you know, actor friends work at night or they have the day off or they work weird hours. And so sometimes like, you know, 2 p.m. in the afternoon, you can have a day drinking session. We used to call it holding court. And I would just like check in and be like, hey guys, I'm holding court. Here's where I'm at. Got a table. Let's go. And so that's how I would fill the silence. Um, yeah. But shutdown forced me out of that. And I feel like this is an unpopular thing to say, but I loved it. You know, like not the shit that was going on in the world, but like for me to right. be at home, not have my phone blowing up with work shit, not having to be anywhere. No one was relying on me. No one was looking for me, depending on me. And I wasn't either. And it just kind of gave me this opportunity where over the following weeks from day one onward, like I was able to let go of a lot of the need to be constantly stimulated by people and events and places and things. Um, to the point where it was like, okay, cool, I'm good. Like, I don't need to be around 20 people to be happy or to keep myself energized or going. Now, was that just something that you had learned through that process? Or is that something that you had to learn through that process? Oh, it was definitely something I had to learn. I, yeah. didn't, go, I didn't go into that thinking, oh, this is what I'm going to do. It just kind of was like... It, I definitely had this conversation with my mom probably within like the first week of everything being shut down where I was like, nobody wants me here. This is great. No yeah. one is calling me. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and it was, you know, I think a couple months before I had a conversation with one of my, my besties and I was like, I'm not okay. I'm on this hamster wheel. I do not know how to get off. I don't feel safe and I don't know how to stop. And I don't know what's going to happen to me. And three months later, <laughs> I'm in my apartment washing my groceries and my mail. <laughs> like, right. Guess who's got all the time in the world? Yeah. Now. And it was, it was, for me, on a personal level, it was healing. You know, like, of course, it yeah. was worrisome what was going on in the world. And I was doom scrolling all the time. But outside of that, as far as the social component and needing to be around humans, like, I didn't, you know, I was fine. Yeah. You know, it's funny during the pandemic. I say during the pandemic, like it's over. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. When I say during the pandemic, the height of it. During the, part the first of the height pandemic, of it. <laughs> yeah, the first wave. During that first big wave, uh, I, 
I had discovered some things about myself. And one of the things that I had discovered was that, one, I don't handle silence. Um, and two, uh, uh, the, the other thing that I had discovered was that there were a whole lot of things that I was not paying attention to. And I was using either being a musician or being an actor or, uh, you know, doing podcasts or, or you know, whatever. I was trying to fill all of the silence with things and just to outrun having to look at myself and be able to sit with myself. And it was, it it was much like your situation. I did get out of it a great deal, but in the beginning of it, there was that whole section of time where it's like, Oh fuck, (laughs) I have to figure out who I am. Yeah. Like I have to figure out what to do with this silence. And so for you, like what was, what was the, what was the impetus for that? Like, did you, did you get into therapy or did you read books or like, what was your, what was your go-to thing? Uh, bourbon. (laughs) That was the start (laughs) until my doctor was like, stop. Um, and so that was, that was the beginning of that journey. But I like, yeah, I mean, I fully identify, like, also a musician, songwriter, like, I do all, all of the things, mm-hmm. and it really took me to that point to kind of realize that that's what I was doing, what you said, like, about filling the silence with shit, and, yeah. um, man, I mean, it was, it was, it was an identity crisis, you know, like, everything and I talk about this with cancer too, like everything's taken away from you and then you yet again have to start over um, and pivot or reimagine yourself or figure out where the fuck to go next, you know? And like, it it gets to be fun after a while. It's annoying to do and or have to do, you know, every couple of years, like, you know, especially millennials, like, God, we've really been handed the shit end of the stick, haven't we? You know, just the whole, (laughs) like, tragedy after downfall after crash after thing and just having to reinvent ourselves over and over and over again without getting any leeway it's just like that's a whole other conversation we can have another (laughs) time but it it becomes an identity crisis where you have to figure out who you are especially like in entertainment theater specifically where you're like okay i have to fit into these little predetermined boxes of these shows so that i get hired and i got very good at that very good at that. And uh, I worked all the time. You know, I like, you know, it wasn't high level stuff. It was pretty mid, but I was proud of it. And I was happy that I had money coming in doing the thing I set out to do. And a lot of people would have killed me to have that position. And I started to hear about it towards the end where (laughs) like, they'd be like, oh, you booked it? Okay. Um, (laughs) You know, but like coming out of that, especially with shutdown, when I took that component away, it was like, okay, but, but like, no one needs me. I don't have to do anything. So then who the fuck am I? Because I don't right. have to fit into these boxes right now. And it's for the foreseeable future because we didn't know what was going to happen with live events and live entertainment and theater. And so it was like, okay, like maybe I spend this time undoing some of this crap I've been told I have to do to be viable here. And yeah. that's, I, I'm still doing it, but I've, I've undone a lot, but I'm still, still working on it. It's a weird industry to kind of maneuver through, you know, especially being a bigger person. I'm six, four, I'm not real thin, 
you know, being a gay man, like I had to like really kind of code switch for myself to be able to pass as straight, which I also got very good at doing for years and years (laughs) and years. Um, you know, but that fucks with you because then you don't know who you are outside of that. And that's probably my fault because I didn't have a touch point with myself to be able to check in and be like, Hey, who are you? Because that's just who I thought who I was. Right. Well, and those things can really mess with you too. It can really get in your head. I mean, especially with the, you know, the code switching and whatnot. I mean, for me, it was very easy for me to just pass um, because I, I'm a bisexual man. And so that means that I can pass as a straight man. And so if I don't want to get my ass kicked in a, any given situation, all I got to do is just, you know, we'll just butch it up a notch, you know, like. Right. Well, but like also how fucked is it that we even have to have that thought of like, oh, if I don't want to get my ass kicked, I have to be yeah. someone else, you know, yeah. and that's my and like in especially in the theater, too, where that's supposed to be like our safe space where it yeah. becomes not your safe space, where you have the powers that be that are mostly these like straight white guys who have money and in like and that's not all the, always the case but it's supposed to be a, a safe place for queer people to go and be themselves and it's very much the opposite where you yeah. have to hide at least while you're on stage and because right. there there is no up until like the last couple of years there is no work pieces anything that's created for people who are maybe not as easy to code switch right so yeah. you know uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a very long <laughs> conversation that I don't want to get off on a tangent on. <laughs> well, let's let's get off on this tangent because I, you you kind of touched on it a little bit. I I do want to get into it. I, I I have a lot of questions about it. Tell me about cancer. Well, where what would you like to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, talk to me a little bit about like where were you in your life when you. Uh, when you found out? Where were you at? What was going on? Where was I at? Um, I was physically in Pennsylvania with my parents. I had just finished one production of Hairspray. I was about to go into another production of Hairspray somewhere else. And I just, you know, textbook found a lump under my arm and uh, thought it was weird. Asked my mom about it. She's, She's a medical professional and she didn't really know what it was, and there was a whole roller coaster of no one knowing what it was. I was misdiagnosed with cat scratch fever, which, what even is that, honestly? <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> like, outside of Ted Nugent, no, no one knows what that is. Um, right. So, like, I just, I went to the next version of Hairspray with this lump under my arm, and as the weeks went went by, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger until it was about the size of a grapefruit, and there was an undeniable need to do something about it. So yeah. that's how that happened, but where I was at, like, you know, I went from Pennsylvania to New York for rehearsals to Reno, Nevada for performance for 18 weeks and then came back to New York. But I was at a, you know, I was 24, 25, I was hot as shit, and I had some you know, steam behind me. I was starting to get calls from bigger casting houses in New York to come in to audition for Broadway stuff or Broadway adjacent stuff. And then that happened and that all went away. It, it was just my dried own little, up right under your feet. Uh, well, I mean, I disappeared. I made the yeah. decision not to tell anyone that was not in my inner circle of friends or family. 
And yeah. um, I had to turn good work down when I was in the hospital. Like, I was getting calls to, like, <laughs> do summer stock. And, I was, like, the one yeah. that kills me, there were two that killed me. One was a, was a speaking role in a film that was being f- shot in New York uh, to be, like, a jewelry shop attendant or something. I had, like, a couple lines with, like, a criminal or whatever, and I was really excited about that. And the other one was a full season at a summer stock for a theater I had always wanted to work work with. And both of them I had to say no to. And the response from the theater, like, still kills me to this day because, and it's, they, they didn't know, it's not their fault, but, like, I told them that I wasn't able to do it and they were like, oh, we figured you'd be booked already. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yep, booked into the hospital, getting chemo pumped into my body. <laughs> like, that's where I'm booked. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a weird, it was a weird time. It was a weird time, but how it you, was, how do you handle that mentally? I mean, because there's, there's, there's gotta be a, a fair amount of strength that goes into, Oh, I've got to keep myself alive now. Again, the answer is bourbon. <laughs> like I hate to keep coming back to this and there's a, yeah. there's a little tie up in a bow, uh, part of this story, but like I drank through chemo. You know, yeah. I wasn't a big drinker at that point, but I became one. And, uh, you know, <laughs> chemo passing through your liver and, you know, booze passing through your liver. Like, I'm indestructible at this point, <laughs> like, if I made it past that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I, I initially coped with it. I eventually had therapy, which helped to a point until it didn't. And, right. um, you know, I mean, like... Uh, I was super fortunate that I had a very, very good support system between friends and family. And that made the whole thing easier. Yeah. Uh, As not easy as it was, it made it easier knowing that people were there always, all the time. I was very seldom alone, except for when I was sleeping. And even then you're not alone because the nurses are coming in at two in the morning to check to make sure you're still alive. So, (laughs) which is like, can I please sleep? Just let me sleep. Um... So, yeah, I mean, that made it easier. After therapy stopped working, I did not seek out another therapist, and I was kind of raw-dogging it for a couple years, like... Yeah. You know, like, I'll just figure this out on my own, and and maybe I shouldn't have done that, but, you know, you can't change it now. It is what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm a big believer that sometimes you go through therapy in waves. Like, therapy can be something that you do for... You do it for as long as you have to do it for, but you don't necessarily have to do it for a prescribed amount of time. Uh, sometimes you run your course with a the therapist a lot sooner than you run your course with a different therapist. I've had therapists for, for three sessions, and I got everything I needed out of that therapist, and I was out the door. <laughs> yeah. So you never know. Well, I mean, and this this might be controversial within the mental health community, and I I don't actually even know if it is, but, you know, like, therapy has... The, the way that this was explained to me is, like, therapy is for people who want to find out what their feelings are and talk about them, and then finding a coach to help you through that is for people who want to take those feelings after they realize what they are and do something about them. Yes. And... Yeah. The first time I heard that, I was like, ooh, um, mm, I don't know. But then thinking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I never liked therapy, because there was no solution portion to it. Right. At least in my experience, there was no 
take this information and go do this because this is why you feel this way. It was very much like, right. how does that make you feel? It's like, I don't know, bitch. That's why I'm here. Tell me why I feel this way. <laughs> what am right. I paying you for? <laughs> why am I like this? <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I don't have bad feelings about therapy at all. I think it's necessary yeah. and helpful, but I think there's a point where you have to kind of transition out of it and go find someone who's a little bit more action packed, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah, my experience has been that therapy is kind of all about looking backward and sort of trying to, you know, figure out how you got wired the way you're wired. And then with coaching, um, which, you know, I also have a coach, um, it's, it is definitely a lot more about, you know, taking all that energy and saying, okay, well, who am I going to be now? What yeah. am I going to do with it now? Right. And how do I fix it? Yeah, exactly. Well, which... and how do I fix it without just bourbon? Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which after my doctor was like, please stop. I did. And I do, I typically go through pockets. I do like a hundred days like sober here. I do 200 days sober yeah. here. I'm currently in day seven of another hundred days. Uh, which I'm hoping will actually turn into 300 days to like beat my last record. But, you yeah. know, I'd like that was the proof to myself that I wasn't a raging alcoholic and I just enjoyed drinking right. a little too much. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I definitely feel the same way. I, you know, I kick the tires on my sobriety often. I've got alcoholism that runs in my family. So I'm always worried yeah. like, Ooh, is this going to be the day that I stop drinking and my hands start shaking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was, that was shut down too, not to like beat this dead horse, but like, yeah. you know, my, when I, where I lived, uh, while that was happening, like the liquor store near my apartment had an app and they delivered for free. And mm. I kept that bitch open for a good long time. And yeah. I, I worked myself up, not that this is something to be terribly proud of, but it does, I think, deserve a little bit of a pat on the back. But I worked myself up to a full bottle of Jameson in one sitting and uh, wasn't drunk, wasn't hung over the next day. And I was like, oh, wow, you should um, not do this anymore. <laughs> and then I, I happened to have a doctor's appointment the following week and she confirmed that I should not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was I was at the point where I was I had to drink a bottle of wine or I wouldn't be able to go to sleep. That's why I originally kind of got there because I was having a hard yeah. time sleeping during chemo. And so I was like, well, if I'm shit-faced, I won't need to worry about it cuz I will in fact be right. unconscious. Um, you know, and again like pockets of that, but certainly right before shutdown, like I couldn't sleep unless I was drunk. And that just kind of like, you know, it was what it was. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, um, now you seem you seem to have had your, your you've got your superpowers on lock. I mean, you know, you've gone through something. You've been incredibly lucky in so many different senses of the word. I mean, in even even with uh, I mean, it sounds like you've got a great relationship with your parents still, which that's not nothing. Yeah, no, I mean, and we did before, but uh, cancer definitely solidified that. Um, yeah. and kind of watching them cope and maneuver and deal with everything that they had to deal with during that period of time was also like a very awe-inspiring thing for me to see, you know, cause I've always respected my parents, but I never really got to see them in action in a crisis, you know, and that's a, that's a tell, right? Like yeah. anyone in a crisis, like that's who that person really is. 
you know, like yeah. give them a real shit house situation and watch what they do. <laughs> like <laughs> I had, um, I had this one friend who was very close, you know, and you know, I told him I had cancer and I still haven't spoken to him ever again. He ghosted me like, wow. but that happens, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, I had a boyfriend at the time, same thing. Like he was started seeing someone else near next to immediately. And, uh, by the time I hit like, peak terrible during chemo like he was out you know we broke up and it like at the time I was super angry but I've gotten some perspective on that and there's a really long story that goes along with my perspective of that but basically the gist of it is like if I was asked to do the same thing I don't know what I would do and that doesn't feel good to say and it's scary but um it's true I, if I was seeing someone depending on how long we'd been together or or not long we'd been together if that came to me, I don't know what I would do. Um, especially because it would have obviously like personal triggers to it. Whereas yeah. like, I don't need to go to the hospital any more than I need to go to the hospital. And like, I'm sorry, but I'm not going with you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's all therapy and coaching to get through that shit too. So. You exactly. Know. Learning how to get through, learning how to get through yourself and learning who you learning. You had to learn who you are in a crisis. So many times. um through the crisis after the crisis that i mean that's kind of why i wrote the book in the first place you know like um i wrote my book because i was having a really hard time being a person again like after it was all over it was a whole whole roller coaster but i had a really hard time like figuring out what i wanted to do with my life who i wanted to hang out with like why the friends that I had, even though they were there for me, were annoying me. And it it just was like this weird perspective, like floating through the air kind of feeling where it was like, I need to feel safe in anything that like kind of pokes you is like, no, 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 no. And uh, that's, you know, that's, I don't know if I want to say that that's the fault of the hospital or the medical system or whatever, but like, you know, there's this, I think, preconceived idea that once you're told you're cancer-free, like, everything's, like, champagne bottles and balloons, and, and it's not. You have, a, you have a moment to be, like, okay, I can breathe easy now and let's celebrate this, but then the sun still comes up the next day and you have to figure out how to make money and how to pay your bills and do all mm-hmm. the other shit, and that's not easy when you've just, like, you know, in my case, like, planned my funeral or, like was told that things weren't going well and they were not having an easy time figuring out what to do. (laughs) And that fucks with you, especially when they're like, and now you have to go back to work. And you're like, but, but, but I don't want (laughs) to. Yeah. I mean, you, you bring up a really good point. I mean, you survived, you know, you, you're a survivor. And that's the thing that people say, right? People say, you're a survivor. You're yeah. a survivor. I'm a and soul survivor, which is scarier. Yeah. Like, uh, if, uh, if this shit comes back, I'm the base case. And, like, right. that, I got out by the skin of my teeth. So, like, that's not helpful <laughs> to hear. And right. when, my, when my oncologist told me that, I was like, I, I didn't, I didn't need, need to hear that. That's, you could have kept that to yourself. Um, you know, it's just... <laughs> fuck you know and then at the end of that to to have to go back to work yeah like what a slap in the face like okay cool great yeah and i i tried to on purpose make sure that i had um 
jobs around that time that were just absolutely brainless so that I didn't really have to do anything. Uh, but like show up, you know, I was like working at Broadway shows like hawking t-shirts and magnets and you know, that takes no energy whatsoever. You just stand there and wait for someone to be like, how big is the large $40 (laughs) for a t-shirt? Oh my God. You know? And so that was like, that was my day to day for a while. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but you stayed alive. Yeah. You're here. You lived to tell the tale, and now you've lived to do more, more things. You're making more things. Yeah, and and like I, I was on like mental health watch in the hospital for a while, not because they thought that I would harm myself, and I didn't think I would either. But I don't. Maybe it's like standard protocol. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But like I wasn't allowed to be in the bathroom by myself. Um, I had to like. I actually yelled at a nurse once because I, like, wanted to take a shower. And they're like, you're a fall risk and we have, you know, you're on mental watch. And I was like, then keep the door open and watch me shower if you want. But, like, I'm I'm good. Like, just let me fucking shower, you know? Right. <laughs> I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, God, I imagine that's got to be so difficult. Like, especially, like, we had talked about in the beginning you know, talking about various body image issues and things like that. And now here you are. It's like, you know, uh, say goodbye to say goodbye to your privacy and, you know, your dignity in some respects. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I was warned by other people that my doctor introduced me to about stem cell transplants, which is what I ended up having, that I just wasn't going to make it to the bathroom and that I needed to be okay with that. And thankfully yeah. that never happened, but I went into this thinking like I was just going to be blown it out of both ends without control. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, thankfully that didn't happen, but right. that's kind of what I thought going into it. And so it was just like this other point of like, oh my God, like, can I just have one point touch point of dignity? Just one, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I actually, I tell a story in in the book about how like I had friends come over to my hospital room. And and again, this was like way pre COVID, but they all had to put on masks and goggles and gloves and gowns and the little footy things on their shoes to be fully covered. Um, but we called down to the hospital kitchen and ordered pizza and they were like, you can only order one per room. And I was like, I'm having a stem cell transplant. I might not make it out of here. Can you please bring me some fucking pizza? Thanks so much. And they were like, okay, fine, just like this one time. (laughs) It was not easy to deal with during that time. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me what you got going on now. What's going on now? What's going on now? Um, I mean, I'm kind of looking, I'm doing, obviously I'm doing the podcast circuit. um, Mm -hmm. Trying to be selective. And I'm looking at it as like my book tour because I'm not like able to like trot around the country to different bookstores and I don't have the personnel or the means to do that anyway. (laughs) Um, You know, so we're just kind of like trotting the book out and uh, working with my producing partner and team uh, to get that book turned into a musical episodic TV series where we're going to shoot the pilot uh, in hopefully this year, hopefully by the end of this year. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. Like that's my, that's my pretty much sole focus. The whole performing thing kind of blew up in my face when I tried to go back to it and decided Mm -hmm. like, nope, I'm going to just make my own shit from here on out. And, you know, other than that, like I'm still dabbling in songwriting and recording and 
voiceover and other stuff like that. I'm doing my audiobook by myself right now, so that whole thing is a project and a feat that is a lot harder than I <laughs> thought it was going to be. <laughs> if yeah. you've ever done audiobooks, it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like your brain falls out of your head and you forget how to read or what words are. Well, uh, I could talk to you all day. In fact, it sounds like they're coming to take me away. Uh, <laughs> there's, <laughs> But uh, uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story and talking to me. Thanks for talking to me today. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do it. And there you have it. Edward Miskey, episode 127 of Coffee Over Suicide. I want to thank him for stopping by, and I want to thank you for stopping by. You've got a lot of podcast choices, and we're glad that you chose this one. If you want to get some more Edward in your life, and I know that you do, go to edwardmiskey.com. You can find out everything that he's got going on uh, right from that one single website. If you want to know more about what I've got going on, you can always find me at coffeeoversuicide.com. And don't forget to check out JustImprov.com. That is the company that I'll be working for moving forward. All kinds of fun stuff going out in Southern California. But as with every week, this is goodbye for now. So until next time, don't kill yourselves out there.